good evening to you, and uh, I'm grateful to be back with you again. Um, we, we prayed about, and we, in confessing the uh, Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism, we, we talked about uh, in good times and bad. Um, I sure I share, I'm sure I share your uh, affection for the happy, joyous, hopeful passages of Scripture. Um, it does need to be said, and we all are aware of this too, that there are some very, very dark ones. And it's important for us to sometimes ask, well, why are they there, and as they are, are they as important as the ones that are more buoyant? Um, I'm going to, in just a moment, um, do something that I've come to call script, scripture storytelling, scripture telling. And I'm going to recite for you from memory, at least as best as I can do it, probably the single, maybe other than Jesus' cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, and possibly other than Psalm 88, which is, if you know Psalm 88, it's, it is a bleak and despairing business. But Job 10 is is full of despair. It's, it's a man who actually says that he believes that God is purposefully and willfully attacking him, malevolently attacking him. And we want to explore that a little bit tonight. And um, so I'm going to enact this, okay? So well, this isn't preaching, this is something different. Okay. I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out of the bitterness of my soul. I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me? To spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see as a mortal sees? Are your days like those of a mortal? Your years like those of a human being? That you must search out my faults and probe for my sin? Though you know I am not guilty. And nothing can rescue me from your hand. Your... Your hands made me and shaped me. Will you now turn and destroy me? Remember, you molded me like clay. Will you now return me to dust? Did you not pour me out like milk? Curdle me like cheese? Clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinew? 
you gave me life and showed me kindness. And in your providence, you watched over my spirit. But this, this is what you concealed in your heart. And I know that this was in your mind. If I had sinned, you would be watching me. You would, you would not let my transgressions pass unpunished. If I am guilty, woe to me. Even if I was innocent, I could not raise my head, for I'm full of shame and drowned in my affliction. If I lift up my head, you stalk me like a lion to display again your awesome power against me. You increase, you bring new witnesses against me. You increase your anger toward me. Your forces come against me wave upon wave. Why, why then was I ever born? I wish no eye had seen me before I went to the grave. If only I had never come into being or been carried straight from the womb to the grave. Are not my few days almost over? Turn away from me so that I can have a moment's joy before I go to the place of no return, the land of gloom and utter darkness, of deepest, the land of deepest night, of utter darkness and disorder where even the light is like the darkness. End of drama. <laughs> that's, um, as I say, that's, that's, that's pretty dark, isn't it? Um, got it. Thank you. Um, we're going to read a passage of Scripture now that's the prelude to all of that. And if you know the book of Job, and if you've read through it, you, you know that it's, Job is full of questions like that. There's an interesting fact. There are 330 specific questions in the book of Job, far, far and away from any of the other books of Scripture. Uh, book of Matthew, where Jesus is asking questions all the time, there's, there's a mere 180. Um, that's number two. But Job is far and away in the lead in terms of why, why, why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? I, I thought I was doing a good job. And uh, so to help us understand, and, and if you, uh, just as a, as a prelude, too, if you can relate, if, if you are in a current place of where it seems as if even the light is like the darkness, um, a 
place of despair, a, a place where you maybe even wonder if God is against you. Um, this, this is, that's one of the reasons God has given us passages like this, I think. Um, one of the things you, you have to say is, well, that's, that's a, s- a small bit of life. We don't know the whole story. You know, and if you know the whole book of Job, you know how it ends. Job's health, Job's family, Job's wealth. It's all restored. Uh, and if you know the story, if you know the big picture, then you know that God in Christ came to redeem us from out of our woes and out of our troubles, and that the day is soon to come, the day of the new creation, when we will be free of this kind of mourning, sorrow, loss, and anguish. So we don't know the whole story. Um, But in that slice, that bit, sometimes, maybe you can relate, it feels like this. Job 1, and we'll read the first 12 verses. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering, and he would, for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned. And cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him in all the earth, blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out, from the presence of the Lord. And we'll read uh, Hebrews 1, uh, 1 through 4 at the end of the... Uh, it, dear friends, if we, if we lived in a world where there was a one-to-one cause and effect relationship between the good or bad things we did 
and the good or bad things that happened to us, do you think it'd be a better world? If, for instance, every time a kid at school bullied somebody, if a big Rottweiler would come and just, just bully him or her, would that diminish bullying? If every time a teenager said, let me help you with that, if uh, their SAT score would go up a bunch, would that, would that make for a better world? If every time a uh, philosopher or theologian or preacher or teacher told a uh, just a really dangerous thing, if a bolt of lightning would just, would that end heresy and blasphemy? If every time you did something good, did something nice, ka-ching, money would come into your bank account, would it make for a better world? If there was a one-to-one relationship, if every time you told a lie, a big ornery hornet came and just buzzed your face and just threatened you and, and maybe even stung you if it was a big one, would it be a better world? To ask that question in a more biblical kind of way is, is there a cause and effect relationship between the good I do and the blessing I receive, or the evil I do and the suffering I go through? Does it work out that way? That is the main question of the book of Job. there, is there a reward, is it a reward and punishment kind of world that if we're blessed, it must be because we're doing a great job? And if we're having just a terrible time, it must be because we've been bad or someone has. Put like that, it's easy for us to say, well, no, of course not. I mean, that's not the sort of God we serve. That's not the sort of... of uh, the God of the Bible. That's not the God I know. But is it possible even for us when we suffer, when something tragic, when something bad, when a Hurricane Sandy comes, when a great earthquake in Haiti comes, um, to say, you know, why, why does this happen? If God is God, I mean, if he is all-powerful, and all good, then how could it possibly be that he allows something like this to happen? Or maybe it's because he's punishing us for someone, for something, something that we've done. Whether it's, it's great calamities like Hurricane Sandy or the tsunami, uh, uh, Hurricane Katrina, Katrina the, the earthquake in Haiti, um, or whether it's, it's personal suffering, it's that cancer, that, uh, that, that child that just simply won't, won't darken the door of a church. Um, there's, there's sufferings on, on all kinds of levels. Uh, I've heard people wonder if God was against them because they had 
a stubbed toe. You know, I, we can do that. That is a question, and it's Job's question. It's why do we suffer? <laughs> if God loves us and if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, then how come we're going through this trouble? What happens here with Job is not going to answer that question. But in this dialogue that Job has with Satan, there is at least something that for me anyway, and I hope for you as well, takes our why question and puts it into a context that makes the important thing of the story, not our pain and our suffering, but rather the name of the Lord, that helps. At least it helps me. It, what it does is it gives some meaning, maybe even some dignity to our suffering. Here, here's what happened. Job is this greatest man in all the East. He's wealthy. He's righteous. He's, he's a perfect man. He, he, he does not sin, according to what we read in later, a little bit later on in Job 1. He is righteous, and, and God takes great pleasure in Job's devotion to him. God takes great pleasure in his, in his piety. And when um, Satan and the angels come round, and God says to Satan, well, where have you been? And I've been roaming around the earth, and we don't even want to know what he's been up to. But God says... Consider Job. There's no one like him. Job is righteous and pure and devoted to me. He praises me daily. He, he for out of concern for his children, he brings sacrifice daily. He is a righteous and, and consider him. And Satan's answer is, of course. God, he'd be a fool not to. You've built a hedge around him. Look at all of the great stuff you've given him. him. He, it he would be an idiot to be anything other than this model citizen, this model righteous person. You see what Satan is doing? Satan is saying, here is... This good thing, this man and his giving his praise. But God, listen, he's using it as manipulation. His praise is so that you'll continue giving him good stuff. He'd like to have 30,000 in his flocks rather than just the measly 10. Of course he praises you. He'd be a fool not to do it. What Satan is insinuating here is that Job's righteousness, Job's goodness, Job's, Job's uh, piety isn't based on the goodness of God, but it's based on self-interest. He wants more stuff. You can give it to him, and that's why he's good. That's what, Job, that's what Satan insinuates to God. If Satan, you see the challenge of it, if Satan can show that our piety and our worship and our belief 
and our godliness are only there because it pays if he can in fact show that those things, godliness, piety, worship, are really all about manipulation, then he can show that the very best things, the so-called best things, are in fact sin and evil. Then Satan will have won an incredible victory. Then even redemption is unthinkable because the godliest of people could be then shown to be the most ungodly. It's all about self-interest, Satan says. It's all about just, just uh, getting more stuff so that they can help themselves. The issue becomes the credibility of God. Is God's is the adoration of God from his people based only on blessing when things are going great? Is that what it's all about? And Satan's insinuation is that that's in fact what it is all about. Satan comes to Job, comes to God about Job or truly, dear friends, about one of us, and he says... You know, your very credibility hangs in the balance here, God. Is there a good behavior based only on the nice treatment you've given? And what does God do? God says, okay, let's see. And he says, take it all away. And I, I can't help but believe that that just because I know the character of God from the rest of the scriptures, that that, that that caused God pain. To say, okay, I... But take it all... We'll, we'll see if, it's, if his praise and his adoration is as thin a thing as that. Just the nice treatment that I give him. Go ahead. Take it all away. Spare his life. And you know that great storms come destroy the family, destroy all the wealth. Uh, Job still praises God. Job's wife says, curse God and die. This is what he's really like. You know, that's what Job's wife says. But Job says, I, 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 I can't. I, you know, I, I, I know he lives. I know he is. And the Job chapter 1 says, in all of this, Job didn't, uh, didn't sin. Then Satan touches his body. So he, he doesn't just take his wealth, just take his family, just take his, his everything else he had. He touches his body and gives him terrible, painful sores and puts him scratching himself on an ash heap. So the rest of the book of, the, of, book, the book of Job, and it's a long, long book, Job agonizes and he, his comforters come and all this. And, and he, it's basically like what I did up there. He, he does say, I, this, this, I, he, asks, he asks the why question. Why am I suffering? Why am I suffering? Job, of course, here, up here, didn't know about this conversation between Satan and God. He didn't know that this was, in a sense, a test. I would want to say it's a, it's a, I would 
we, we can understand wager. It's not a wager. God's not saying, okay, my money's on Job and that he's really better than all the nice treatment. But in a sense, there is something that's powerful and cosmic and vitally important that hangs in the balance. Will he or won't he? Is he going to turn on you and curse you like his wife says? Or is he going to, even in spite of all this pain, in spite of all this difficulty, love you and praise you and, and, and listen to your word? Will the cessation of nice treatment be an end to the praise? And if you read the whole of the book, you, you read, no, Job, through it all, and even through a, a struggle like this, the, the thing about a struggle like this and why I thought it was worth worthwhile memorizing is that it's this is a saint who when everything is lost at least has somebody to fight with you know he he rail and it gives us permission you know if you if you are I, I that's one of the things about this passage when we suffer terribly or, or you know there's psalm 88 Jesus on the cross, you know, there's, there's, there's a room to say, you know, I don't understand. You know, I, I'm, but he, he clings just by a nail still to faith. So does that make suffering easier to know that there's something great hanging in the balance? If when we suffer powerful and profound and, and tragic loss or, or anguish of, of whatever sort, um, does, it, does it help to know that this is yet another display of one of God's saints saying, even though he kill me, yet will I trust in him? That's one of the other things that Job said. I'm still going to trust. I'm still going to cling to him. I'm still going to give him praise and glory and honor. Job's suffering was redeemed in that way. Satan was proved wrong. Job's praise didn't just hang on the nice treatment, the hedge that God had built around him. It was redeemed, and, and his, Job's suffering had a purpose. It was for a higher good. It was used by God to win this great victory over Satan. Later on, and maybe that's the way it is with us when we go through our anguishes too, we, we oftentimes will be able to look back and say, ha, ah, you know, I, among the most important things is I wasn't alone. There was somebody to yell at, and it was God. God gives us a, an attentive ear in heaven when we suffer. Does it make it easier? No, it doesn't. When we suffer, the, the, the biggest thing was, like Job said, you know, the, the hardest thing in that whole piece was when Job says, are my days not almost over? Turn away from me so that I can have a moment's joy. Well, that, that's, that's a terrible it's very difficult to understand. But in the, that context where Job, the, the thing he fears the most is the thing he voices that way. 
He doesn't want to be alone in his suffering. And that was, that was Jesus on the cross. That was um, God's people through. That's the biggest fear we have. It isn't the pain. This might be the pain right at the moment, but, but at the end of the day, it isn't the pain, it isn't the loss, it isn't the anguish. It's the, am, am, I, am I abandoned or not? And friends in Christ, the, the emblem that we have in this is, is Jesus, who the scriptures say suffered and was persecuted in every way. He went through everything that we go through. When we suffer, we need to be able to lay ourselves down in the confidence that when we go on clinging to God, even in spite of the trouble, we do something that counts. So I would point you to the Lord who said, in this world, because it's this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome that, too. I have overcome the world. And, and that passage that we have at the uh, beginning of the book of Hebrews, um, and we'll conclude with this. Basically, well, God says, well, the writer of the Hebrews says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets as times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And then now, specifically this. After having gone through all things, and after he had provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And that, that is the one who has gone before us into our troubles. And that's the one, if, if you are going through a thing at the moment, have one that's very, very fresh in your mind that you're looking back on and saying, you know, I, I, I really did almost come to believe I was alone. If you're afraid about what might be coming up. Um, we go because we're citizens of the bigger story. The story of redemption, that God is with his people and God has a certain plan that he is bringing to fulfill.